0: Welcome to the fortnightly Peters McGregor Global Investing Podcast. Our aim is to keep abreast of market developments, provide our views on a range of companies and investing topics, and explain how we're positioning our portfolio. Please be aware that this podcast is intended to provide general information only, and that all forms of investing involves risk of capital loss. Make sure to do your own due diligence and seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. Welcome to today's Peters McGregor Investment Podcast. My name is Alex Haynes and with me today is Nathan Bell, our Head of Research. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Alex. Today, I wanted to hear your thoughts on a couple of companies you feel have great upside potential. You've noted down five and I know it all are very different from one another and I'm particularly interested to see and hear um, what each com- company's competitive advantage is and why you believe these are sustainable. Let's kick off with Charter Communications. Nathan, why is it a large position in the portfolio? So Charter Communications is the second largest internet
1: provider and cable TV company in the US, it's uh, became that way uh, with a large acquisition about uh, 12 or 18 months ago, uh, where Charter bought Time Warner Cable, uh, not to be confused with Time Warner, which uh, has recently been approved to be taken over by AT and T. And the thing that's uh, not uh, particularly in a place like Australia, where we don't have a cable infrastructure because we've never had this sort of 30 years of cable TV, uh, that's not necessarily well understood, is that. These businesses are essentially monopolies in most of the regions they operate. So, if you think about what it takes to, for Telstra uh, to put the cable work under the roads and in the footpath under the footpaths, uh, you have to basically shut down streets. It's very expensive, uh, takes a lot of money, and it takes a long time. So the benefit of the U.S., um, particularly providing uh, fast internet broadband speeds, is that they've had 30 years of putting this cable into the ground because people have been using cable TV for so long. And just by pure luck, it turned out that the best way to deliver fast internet speeds um, to Americans uh, was by the cables that were already in the ground uh, and used for cable TV. So Charter is what we think is basically has the digital railways for uh, companies like Netflix and Facebook and Google where we're all online. Uh, quite amazingly, the last statistic I saw was 54% of all online traffic, um, I don't know if it was in America or in the world across the world, uh, but was uh, solely due to Netflix and YouTube Uh, So it's quite incredible. And one of the the trends that you can rely on for the next 10 or 20 years is increasing data usage. And by the end of the year, Charter plans um, to offer every customer uh, one um, megabit speeds per second. Um, sorry, one gigabit per second, <laughs> and uh, if you compare that to what we get in Australia, um, that's about forty times faster. So it's uh, quite incredible, and they can only deliver that because of the cables they've got in
0: the ground. So that's the competitive advantage. Nathan, what are some of the risks uh, you, you see? You know, investors should be aware of when owning Charter Communications and and, and the whole story. So, Charter's one of those companies that gets a lot of press
1: because it's a large company. Uh, Recently, there's been net neutrality. Uh, issues with the Department of Justice and that's basically around uh, companies who provide the internet speeds can uh, net net neutrality allows them to dictate how fast speeds are for different customers so Netflix is the customer of Charter and they don't want the speeds to be very quick for Netflix for example and they want it faster for other customers they can do that Uh, so that's obviously um, causes a lot of controversy Uh, and Also, there's just been a lot of um, regulations around cable simply because it's a monopolistic business. And although the companies don't report this, and you'll understand why, uh, the incremental margin for adding someone to the broadband internet business is almost uh, about 95% because there's really no cost of doing it. You just plug someone into the network. Uh, It's not like where you offer cable TV and you have to pay a lot of content costs. Um, So so for that reason, um, regulators don't want these companies taking advantage of customers. Uh, But this is a company that we believe is trading on about eight times free cash flow uh, based on 2020 numbers. If you read through the newspaper articles at the moment, everybody's worried about uh, subscription losses in the cable TV business. Um, That's what gets most of the headlines, just because the numbers are quite big across the industry, even though they have have affected charter less than other providers. Um, But the other part is... Uh, What doesn't get a lot of press, I don't think, and this is actually much more important, is that we believe that internet broadband prices are going to increase in the future. And what we see is when people leave... Uh, the cable TV subscription, they end up getting charged more for cable internet TV, So, uh, sorry for cable broadband. So, even if a customer a cable TV subscription gets lost, it doesn't necessarily mean Charter's lost a customer. But what's really important in our numbers in the future is that uh, Charter can continue to put up prices for its broadband uh, pro uh, subscriptions.
0: Nathan, your next company on the list is Liberty Latin America. Now, some of our audience may think, oh gosh, Latin America and risk and volatility. Why do you like that company? Yep. so that's exactly what I would think when I uh, first start looking at a company based in Latin America.
1: Uh, There's a couple of things here. Firstly, again, this is a cable company, so basically the same as Charter Communications. Liberty Latin America is the number one or two player in a, a range of markets. Uh, Chile uh, being one of the largest, uh, Puerto Rico being one of the smallest. So it's been um, hit by other hurricanes there last year, which has had a small impact on revenues. Uh, but again, we just really these are the digital railways. There's really no other way to get fast broadband speeds, and we we think of. Uh, these digital railways is essentially a utility in the same way that you think about your gas bill or your telephone bill. There's just no way that you can have the quality of life uh, today uh, without having fast internet broadband speeds that everyone else has. So uh, we don't think these uh, uh, subscriptions are going to get lost during a recession, for example, um, even though these uh, companies uh, thrown in the category of customer discretionary, which makes no sense to us. So we've got a very reliable, predictable revenue stream here because we've got the number one and two player. It means they can offer the best prices and the best broadband speeds. So there's not really a lot of choice in these markets. It's not like in Australia where, at least until the NBN comes into your area, you've probably got five or six different people to choose from to deliver your internet. Um, you really don't have that choice in these markets. They're very monopolistic businesses. And the other thing we like about this business is um, the... The countries that it um, operates in are very regulatory friendly. Uh, These are countries that want these companies to invest lots of money because it's very expensive to build these networks. They don't want to take that on the public purse. They'd rather these companies did it. Uh, So we've got very uh, friendly investors there and friendly regulators Uh, Number one and number two uh, market uh, positions. Uh, And the thing is, it's a very fragmented market in some of these countries. So there's a lot of acquisitions, what we call small tuck in acquisitions that this company can do over the next decade, and produces lots of cash flows, a long growth runway. Uh, no dividends unfortunately but we don't really want dividends we want this company to keep reinvest at high rates and it's also a spin-off so it actually used to be part of liberty global which we also own Uh, liberty latin america is about 10 percent of the size of that so it's a four or five billion dollar business so we think it can grow a lot faster than the parent at the moment no one's really looking at this business it's had some ordinary results um, over the last 12 months puerto rico hasn't helped where uh, we've had the hurricanes rush through although they are getting insurance revenues back for that Uh, but with I think there's a lot of growth here. Uh, it's a spin off, and we, what we've seen with spin offs is it's usually in years two and three when the spin offs tend to do best. Uh, that's generally when the CEO has re- priced his options nice and low, and then all of a sudden, in years two and three finds all this value. But uh, but the current share price is depressed, uh, people are waiting for the earnings to increase. Um, there was an acquisition done about 18 months ago that they paid a little bit over the odds. So there's all these things going against it, uh, but we think it's incorporated well and truly into the price. It trades on about seven times. Uh, a bit of jargon here but seven times EV to EBITDA which is about seven times operating profits in in, uh, less confrontational language Um, and normally these businesses trade on about 10 or more so you can see just getting the multiple back to where it should be is um, about 40% return but we think the earnings can increase a lot as well so we think this is very cheap very well run and it's actually run essentially by um, Americans so um, it's not like we've got local managers and you're worried
0: about whether the cash flows are going to come back to you as a shareholder. Let's now move from Latin America to China. JD.com, it's been dubbed the FedEx and Amazon of China. Why is this the case, Nathan? So JD, uh, the
1: easiest way to describe it is that Alibaba is the eBay of China and JD is the Amazon of China and it measures its delivery times in hours as opposed to Alibaba which measures its delivery times in days. Uh, It's got about a $60 billion market cap so it's um, about a quarter of the size of Alibaba so it's much smaller. It doesn't have the range of goods but what JD does have is the reputation for selling the genuine article and also the delivery speeds uh, as I said are much much faster. So we think these things the way the Chinese use the internet, is and um, more on a daily basis and what we do typically in the West. Uh, For example I might buy a pair of sneakers from overseas uh, once or twice a year whereas the Chinese will buy their toothpaste and all sorts of daily goods uh, mainly because they just simply don't have the last 30 or 40 years of uh, a bricks and mortar retail network to build up around them and it's actually quite painful for a lot of people to go out on the street and go shopping. Pollution is obviously an issue you don't really want to spend too much time outside in a place like Beijing. So for all those reasons JD um, is very useful to them. Fast delivery speeds, um, still very cheap, uh, and you get the authentic goods. Uh, the founder there still operates the business, Richard Liu. Uh, and just getting towards valuation, it's a business where I think there's a degree of uh, a lack of trust in the business because it is following the Amazon plan of, you know that started 20-odd years ago where it's basically growth at all costs. So it's not trying to make as much money out of the retail business as it can. It's just trying to grow and get customers in. So you don't see high reported profits. The margins are very thin. And what the market's really waiting for to give it a supersized price is those margins to really start expanding and at the moment the business Richard Lewis is saying look we understand that but the margins will come in the future right now it's all about getting as many customers on the platform as we can and delivering exceptional service so these people want to continue to buy more and more from us uh, every year and as we've seen with with Amazon with the Prime membership uh, I I think I can't remember exactly what the numbers are but it's some gargantuan increase in the amount of money people spend and the number of items or times that people shop per year once they have the prime membership so it's you can see how valuable it is to get people onto the platform have a good experience uh, and at the moment uh, Amazon's trading at nearly four times um, price of sales at the moment and just bearing in mind that Amazon is a different business because it has a very profitable uh, data cloud storage business that JD doesn't have uh, but JD is only trading at about a quarter of that uh, on the price of sales metric so um, if you follow the sales growth, which is about 30 or 40% a year at the moment, another two or three years, basically you get this thing trading on half-time sales, which makes no sense
0: to us. So we think this is one where your patients will be rewarded. And I guess, uh, Nathan, as an aside, is it true Richard Lou every year goes out as one of the company's couriers?
1: <laughs> so one of the risks that we look at, uh, particularly for the businesses in our portfolio, I, I haven't seen another portfolio that has as much insider, owner or founder-led businesses as what we have and so key man risk becomes uh, really, really important because when you've got a founder like, say, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, if he's not there, you really wonder whether someone else can fill those shoes and keep the culture and keep the growth and keep the vision of the company alive. Uh, and it's, it sounds somewhat easy. You just come in, you're taking a business like like Amazon, which is just uh, running on all cylinders, but actually it's it's far from that. It's quite the opposite, extremely difficult. Uh, so when you've got that big glowing leader that everyone looks up to, like a St- Steve Jobs, Very hard to replace those guys. And as we've seen with Tim Cook, he doesn't get anywhere near the um, credo as what um, Steve Jobs does, even though he's done a pretty reasonable job by all accounts. Uh, so anyway, getting back to Richard Liu, one day a year, and this is exactly the sort of behavior we expect from a founder-led business, he gets on the motorbikes and he goes out and does deliveries himself. And he wants to check that what's going on at the, at the coalface is actually what um, really is going on when he's sitting up there in his, in his office. So he, there's photos of him, he puts the motorbike helmet on, he goes out. Um, it does worry us because if you've seen the traffic in China, you really don't want this guy out on the motorbike too often. Uh, but it actually shows how much he loves his business and how much he cares
0: about his customers, which is what we think is the competitive advantage. Moving on to a different topic, many in our audience, I assume, are using Netflix or have at least heard of Netflix and the growing battle globally for both scripted and non-scripted content. And I'll get you to define what that, what, what those uh, two definitions mean, Nathan. How's, how is Peters McGregor taking advantage of this?
1: Yes, yeah, so at the moment. If you see something like a Game of Thrones, um, these just to make one show cost multi billions of dollars. And this is where someone writes a script, someone produces the show, and it goes airs to TV. So it's all very well organised, and it's very very expensive. Uh, I think the only other show that might be up there is it was The Crown, which you, know, you might have also seen on Netflix. Uh, it's all about uh, Queen Elizabeth in her earlier life. So these are very expensive shows, but they get a huge amount of eyeballs. So to a company like Netflix that all it wants to do for now is to get people on the platform, get them used to it, and then over time it will put up its prices and make more money. So in a sense, there's really a land grab at the moment for for eyeballs. And what Discovery is, and Discovery Communications is the company we own, Uh, it's recently done or recently received approval for a merger with Scripps, which does other cooking-type shows and lifestyle shows. Uh, It produces non-scripted content. So if you've ever seen um, Seven Mates probably the – The uh, channel on Australian TV that has a lot of these sorts of shows. um, You see these guys looking for gold, or um, you know, out in the country, wilderness in Canada, doing uh, all sorts of things. There's other silly shows that, um, uh, like, in. the, the, the us baidu where they're trying to catch crocodiles and it's that sort of timeless tv that's non-scripted uh it's just they've got an idea they take people out and events unfold on camera and there's that great catch a lot of those fishing shows and so these shows what's really good about them is not only they're very cheap um but you can they're somewhat timeless so if you're watching. Uh, Game of Thrones uh, series two. um, In a sense, it's timeless because there's, you know, it's sort of based on, I guess, a period that never really happened anyway. But it's a fantasy um, situation. But um, so, if you look at sports, it's probably a better example where it gets old very quickly. Basically, if you haven't watched the sport on that day, then you've probably heard the result the next day. So, um, you can't afford your shows to get stale. Uh, And what happens with these sorts of shows? Uh, that Discovery has is they're, they're not time important so you can watch these shows in 12 months or two years and they probably haven't dated too much and so what you end up with is, is this huge library of content with lots and lots of hours so if you're a, a Disney for example or um, someone else that wants to take on a Netflix um, or even if you're Netflix and you're looking to fill in more hours to try and take on a Disney online you really need a lot of content and it's my personal belief that when next time we see a recession we're going to 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 see some sort of fall in all this spending because right now there's a real bull market I think in scripted shows and that everyone's just willing to spend huge amounts of money even though the returns aren't necessarily that good today because they know that in five or ten years that you need everyone on your platform and the more the future Comes along, the more people are going to be uh, watching things online and more prepared to pay for online memberships. But we're not going to pay for 10 or 20 of them. We're only going to pay for two or three, the ones that really matter and have a fairly wide or broad range of content. So, what Discovery offers is a very cheap uh, access to a huge library of mostly timeless content. Um, Now, obviously, after five or 10 years, these things are going to date a little, but it's so cheap to continue making these and they're very popular. Um, So, we think there's a lot of value in this business anyway. But at the moment it's trading at about eight times free cash flow uh, once you start looking 12 or 18 months ahead when they've um, started uh, banking, sorry baking in uh, a lot of the synergies of the duplicate costs of acquiring scripts. The market doesn't want to give the company the benefit of of the doubt. We actually bought shares at $17 a share, um, which was something ridiculous like a 17 or 18% free cash flow yield, so basically five times earnings uh, or free cash flow. It's gone up to about $24 as we speak today, uh, but we actually think that this business is worth more like $40, and over the next 12 to 18 months, as the the costs fall out uh, and we start seeing some of the increased revenue from the
0: combined business, um, the market will start to see that value. And lastly, Nathan, you like a South African-based holding company. Talk me through this. You know, why, why, uh, why is that the case? So let me go back one step. There's a company
1: in China called Tencent. It's the country's largest company. Uh, it's an absolute uh, economic and financial beast. I've never seen and we may never see another company like this. This is a company that basically was almost starting from scratch 10 years ago and it's now a over US $500 billion business. Uh, most of its money at the moment is actually made from online gaming, uh, mobile on gaming and PC gaming uh it's about 60% of, of revenues and profits, uh, but what it's actually probably more well known for is its WeChat free mobile messaging service. So basically everyone in China has an account, and it doesn't cost you anything to send your messages to your friends, and there's crazy statistics about this where something like half of everyone who has an account, so 400,000 people, spend anywhere from two to four hours on this app every day, and it's not that they're sending messages between each other, but it's this app has become much more useful over time, and it's now like it's the internet within the internet so once you get on the WeChat app you don't actually have to go anywhere else to find out information about different services so whether you want to order a pizza or find somewhere to or someone to look after your cat for the weekend you can do that all within the 10 cent app and so 10 cent essentially clips a ticket on a lot of this activity so you, and you can see how powerful this business is if you've got a billion people Um, Spending hours and hours on your app every day and using the gaming, Um, it's just going to be incredibly profitable. And they've got a a business called uh, We Moments, which is like a poor man's version of Facebook. Now Facebook sends you anywhere from 30 to 40 ads per person per day uh, in the West, and on We Moments they're only sending about one ad per person per day. So you can see the huge potential. (laughs) So you can see the huge potential just in the advertising alone to a, a billion people. Uh, Over time, but they've also got uh, an online payments business, which is the equivalent of PayPal. Alibaba also have one, so there's these two online uh, payments business which are growing uh, extremely quickly, and they're extremely profitable. And basically, everyone in China is using these online systems or their mobiles to pay for goods. It's much easier in China than it is anywhere else, uh, simply because they haven't had the old payment systems that we're used to here of using our credit cards. And so these are so essentially, Tencent is this wonderful business. It's grown exceptionally quickly, economics like I've never seen of any business ever, and it's really come from nowhere in in a decade uh, to become the the largest business in China and one of the largest businesses in the world. Uh, Now, so that's Tencent, and we've owned this, and we sold it uh, somewhere around the current price uh, about six months ago because we felt it was trading at fair value. And now we own it uh, by de facto through a holding company called NASPERS. NASPERS is an internet company, uh, just a, a sort of a hodgepodge of internet uh, shareholdings that's listed in South Africa of all places. And the guys there uh, bought one-third of Tencent for US $34 million in 2001, and that holding today, and they, up until uh, four months ago, they hadn't sold one single share. That holding is now worth around US $160 billion and is widely recognized as uh, the single best equity investment in history. So we own it through NASPERS and the reason we own it through NASPERS is because uh, NASPERS is actually trading at a 45% discount to its $0.10 shareholding alone. Um, Now, there's another 5% of value in NASP as it relates to its other internet holdings. Uh, We won't go through them because it's just tiny in comparison to what its $0.10 holding is. And there's a few different reasons. Uh, One is there's a view that if when NASPA sells its $0.10 shares, it has to pay a lot of tax. We don't believe that's the case. And there's a bit of a test case for it going on at the moment where they're selling a very small proportion of their $0.10 shares and they've agreed with Tencent not to sell any more for the next couple of years. And so we don't believe that that's the reason for a large discount. Um, there's a re- People don't want to invest in South Africa necessarily. It's actually a hard place to invest in. Personally, in, uh, individual investors can't invest there usually. Um, so that's another reason that keeps um, people weighed. Um, NASPERS is the largest company, as you probably guess, in, listed in South Africa. Um and, and yet the local shareholder base does, doesn't seem to want to put a lot of money into this stock. So Tencent and actually the Chinese government are looking to do um, listings of these companies in China. It's somewhat ironic that you, Chinese citizens actually can't buy um, shares in their biggest technology, most successful businesses at the moment. So they're bringing in um, a subset of shareholdings, uh, a bit like the ADRs, the Authorised Depository Receipts, uh, in America so that they can buy them. So that may um, lead to um, that arbitrage, if you like, of buying the stock in um, sort of going short the stock in one where it's a country where it's fully valued um, and then going long NASPers um, to really create the, the value without the risk um, hopefully that arbitrage will, might bring it down, um, no guarantee. And the other thing is management's also been criticised at NASPERS for continuing to take large bonuses, even though people are saying, well, effectively, you're not doing anything. You're just holding these shares. Uh, in Tencent, you're not really adding any value with a lot of your other businesses, which are aren't even profitable yet. Uh, so that's a, another uh, bit of a, a slight on management. And another thing is also that a lot of people would like to see management uh, buying back shares and really reducing that, um, that gap in the valuation. And that's what the small sh- uh, sales of shares uh, is about recently, but they're not actually going to buy back the shares, they're actually going to reinvest in their other businesses. And uh, we think that's a, a somewhat smart thing to do. But um, management doesn't seem to be in a hurry to introduce any of these capital initiatives to reduce the gap. Uh, but it's, if you look at these shareholdings, these style of shareholdings over time, often as a value investor, you buy in and you don't necessarily know when the discount is going to close, but you just know it usually does happen in a certain amount of time. And management obviously can't go on forever continuing with this gap if their other businesses that they're investing in aren't working out. So uh, at some point, whether it's in 12 months or 24 months, uh, if management haven't had a value with their other investments, then they're going to be essentially, someone will come in and help force them um, to bring in the gap. And as long as it happens um, within a few years and as long as the underlying value of 10 cent continues to compound over time, then we know the returns are going to be worth waiting for. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Thank you, Nathan. If anyone's interested, I have a short presentation slide deck summarising the five companies that Nathan's talked about today and happy to email anyone. You just need to drop me a line um, on my email address, abh at petersmcgregor.com and I'll send them through. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends and family and thank you very much for your time today.